Hello, and welcome back to the Embodied and Sovereign podcast. I'm so excited and honored to be interviewing Elizabeth Dialto today. So I have been kind of a lurker follower of hers on social media. I've interacted a bit, but um, for several years now, and I discovered her, um, I, I believe, through just like the embodiment realm, the embodiment world um, on social media, and I just instantly fell in love with her style. Um, I really love her spunkiness, her fierce honesty, her deep compassion, and her willingness to peel back layers of common perceptions to re reveal um, truths that lie underneath. So um, for me, her wisdom combined with this real world relatability makes her all the more remarkable in this day and age, in my opinion. Thank you. <laughs> she is the host of Embodied podcast since 2015. She is the founder of the Institute for Embodied Living. She is known for her raw, honest, and grounded approach to self-help and spirituality. Elizabeth specializes in helping women embody self-love, healing, wholeness, and liberation. Her body of work has evolved out of the 12, 12 plus years of experience across several fields, including fitness, self-help, wellness, spirituality, coaching, personal development, development, and healing. The last seven of which she spent helping women untame themselves. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So, um, when I first found you online, I just remember feeling so incredibly refreshed by your unbridled honesty combined with this inquisitive curiosity and heartfelt compassion. And since I'm always curious myself how certain people like evolve into the well-rounded humans that they become, can you share a little bit about your own process of self-discovery and evolution and even maybe perhaps like what you struggle with the most or what came easiest for you? No, that's a right. big, big question. <laughs> <laughs> question. Um, so actually, you know, what, what comes easiest for me for real is just is, is saying what I mean and meaning what I say mm -hmm. and telling the truth. I mean, my, and, and not being overly concerned with what people are going to think. Mm -hmm. um, and I literally, I always tell this story of, I was like six years old and I was in the car with my parents and my mom was like going on and on about something that had happened at work that day. And she was like, but then I just decided that I shouldn't care so much what everyone thinks of me. <laughs> and she looks back at me in the back seat. And again, I'm six. And she goes, I learned that from you. And I was, it stood out to me because as a kid for your parent to be like, I learned something from you. You're like, what the hell? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Right. And that's not to say I don't care what anybody thinks, right? If you don't care what anybody thinks, you probably have some real issues. But I'm just not preoccupied with what people who aren't like close to me or um, who align with my values. Like I, I'm not, I'm not out here overly concerned about messing up or anything like that. Like I'm always willing to like fix if I said something or you know anything like that. So um, I have a big capacity, and I always have for you know, feeling nervous or afraid or whatever, but saying something or doing something anyway. Mm -hmm. And the evolution of that over the years has just been learning how to bring, you know, kindness and compassion without losing the fierceness, mm -hmm. right? Because without kindness and compassion, you know, some people are like, you got to be radically honest. And uh, my friend Jade used to say, 
uh, honesty without compassion is cruelty. Mm, yeah. Right. Um, but the other thing in, the, in this day and age, which is so interesting, and I had, you were asking me before we started recording how I was doing and I was like, oh, it's been a day because people who were used to like passive aggressive communication or indirect communication or just straight up being fake when you're just direct and honest and compassionate, they take it as like an affront. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I, I get that. I get that sometimes. Like that's probably one of the biggest pieces of uh, criticism I get from people is like, you're intimidating or you're whatever. It's like, I'm not, I'm literally just direct. Everything I'm saying, I'm saying with like love and kindness and compassion. And, you know, for some people it will not land that way. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. And, and part of the embodiment journey has been being getting really okay with that. I am not for everyone. Mm, yeah. You know, one of my biggest wounds for me, probably the biggest is like the too much wound. And I remember at one point last year, I wrote a post that I was like, you know what, maybe I am too much. And like, maybe you are too. Cause honestly, of course I'm too much for some people. Mm-hmm. And of course some people are too much for me, right? Like we don't have to resonate with everybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, th- over the course of my life, as I have moved through different career paths, I started my career in sales and marketing. I went into fitness. I was a personal trainer. I started to get more into like energy healing and that kind of work and psychology and archetypes and spirituality and embodiment, sensuality, you know, all the things that I do now, especially the more mystical and spiritual things that I do now, like working in the Akashic Records. And of course, I lose a lot of people as as I continue to like grow and evolve and shift. Um, But you also gain people too. That is the thing. (laughs) You just, there's, I don't know who said it originally, but my friend Kate had shared this quote with me a long time ago that said, what is for you cannot pass by you. And so that's what I believe. You know, the people who work their way out where it meant, and that's same, I'm like full of like uh, catchy quotes today. That other one, right? That people say everyone comes into your life like a reason to season or a lifetime. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. That's That's what it is. Um, So that's been a lot of my journey. And that's the thing. As long as I'm staying as true as possible to my soul, the right people will show up and the wrong people will fall away. Yeah. And I'm very comfortable with that at this point, even when it sucks. Yeah. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes you want some people to be the right people mm-hmm. and they're not. Yeah. Yeah. It's refreshing, but it is, it's hard. It's a hard, um, it's a hard thing. I've, I've grown up kind of quite the opposite of that, where it's like, I've had to really push myself to speak, you know, mm. more. <laughs> totally. I have a lot of clients like that. Yeah. Um, can you just like a follow-up question can you share a bit about your own journey in getting discovering embodiment and stepping into kind of being a facilitator in this emerging field yeah um so my i will say my embodiment journey probably started when i was eight years old because that's when my titties started growing (laughs) (laughs) and that's when i just suddenly became so much more aware Mm -hmm. of my body and I became more aware of it because other people were becoming aware mm-hmm. of it. Um, and then, you know, when I was 12 years old and I really started having to more seriously deal with like the male gaze because at 12, I was getting hit on by like 17 year olds. Mm-hmm. And then just being just like self-conscious and aware of like inhabiting a woman's body and mm-hmm. having that instinct to just want to cover it up. I was a tomboy. So for years I got away with like baggy t-shirts and basketball jerseys and stuff like that. Um, And then when I got into my 20s and I became a personal trainer, I started taking Zumba classes. I finally learned how to salsa dance. 
um, half my family is Puerto Rican and I always loved the music, but I never really, um, my family doesn't really dance that much. So I never really danced. And that, that kind of opened up this like expression for me, this like sensuality, this sensual expression that was like very enlivening. And then in 2010, I went to my first pole dancing class mm -hmm. ever. And so to be in a class and I went to, it was a Sheila Kelly S factor class, which mm -hmm. was the original pole dancing workout. And there's no mirrors in the room. It was very woman centric, right? Mm -hmm. Not for anyone else's gaze. You're not performing for anyone. You're there just to be in your own experience. And, and, and that was the first time I realized that sensuality in and of itself is this whole thing separate from sexuality because mm -hmm. they get so conflated in the bigger over culture, right? And so that was during the years when I was a personal trainer. And for me, movement and dance, I was a Zumba instructor, you know, like movement and dance were all about like, got to burn some calories, got to sweat, or I'm <laughs> yeah. learning salsa and I'm trying to get better and I'm practicing. There was always some kind of function to it. So to just be allowed to be in my body and have this sensual erotic experience that had nothing to do with sex or being desirable or attractive to anybody else was that was a very pivotal for me. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years later, when I started to just not resonate anymore with being a personal trainer, I was seeing someone who was really into energy healing and Reiki and things like that. So I just started going down that path. And then there were just a couple books, Clarissa Pinkola, Estes, Women Who Run With The Wolves, Sally Kempton's Awakening Shakti, that started introducing me to these feminine archetypes that again, our culture doesn't honor or integrate in terms of how it's acceptable for women to be and express themselves. Mm. And I had a lot of shame actually around not being feminine, not being like girly or prissy or like soft enough. Mm. And then I realized I'm like, oh, I could be a wild woman. Oh, warrior goddess is a feminine <laughs> archetype. Like, yeah. yeah, okay, I have been feminine this whole time but just not in a way that anyone tells you is okay yeah. to be. Yeah. So that was kind of like the, the evolution. And, and that's really what inspired me to create Wild Soul Movement, which is the movement method I created in 2013. That combines central movement with mantras and meditations. Just like, you know, I'm a, mm -hmm. if anyone listening is into astrology, I'm a Virgo sun, Capricorn moon, Gemini rising. I love learning. I love synthesizing. Um, I have no problem just like trying things out and then correcting course and tweaking and refining as I go. And so that movement practice has developed and evolved over the years and it's, it's just efficient. It's a healing tool. It helps people get out of their head and into their body, but also integrate the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And that's what I love so much about embodiment, right? Because I didn't have the language for it at the time, but in my twenties, when I was starting to dance salsa, and, and get into erotic movement and connect to my sensuality separately from my sexuality, I was also having an experience of connecting with the divine in a way that certainly my Catholic upbringing had not given me access to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, I, I saw one of your posts um, recently. I think it was a recent one. Yeah this you posted something uh that said uh so unpopular opinion sometimes ghosting is the safest most peaceful and energetically wise choice 
And clearly this was a very welcome, uh, unpopular opinion, because, <laughs> judging by the number of people that like liked and commented on it. And it resonated um, quite deeply for me as well, because it's something that I, you know, um, similar to some things I've struggled with in my past. And um, so ghosting obviously has this kind of negative connotation in pop culture as being like rude or disrespectful, um, which it certainly can be right in certain situations. But when we look at it from this perspective of perhaps like those who have trouble with their own boundaries or if the person being ghosted simply isn't being respectful, it can be a necessary action. And I just, I, I just would like to hear more about um, this topic because it's, it's yeah. just like, you know, you get these little meme snippets and it's like, totally. oh, that makes so much sense. And I want to hear more. <laughs> um, and so, right, I should have realized in my audience, in my community, it's not an unpopular opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, in like the mainstream, yeah, people are like, ah, oh, ghosting is the worst. Yeah. And there's also, you know, we, we do live in this meme culture. And I do, I see sometimes these like, there's so many psychotherapists on Instagram, like dropping their memes and stuff now. And I'll see people being like, ghosting is a sign of emotional immaturity or ghosting means you avoid conflict. And I'm like, not, excuse me, not always, because sometimes people are emotionally abusive or dangerous or narcissistic, or like, there's just, there's something going on and you can't say to them, mm-hmm. I need to go or I need to exit. Like a couple people even commented on that post. Like I had to wait until I remember one woman commented that she had to wait until her ex was at work to move out. Mm, yeah. So it would be safe for her to leave and she could actually get out of the house. That's, that's the type of stuff I'm talking yeah. about, right? Mm-hmm. Or when people have just proven that they're just going to fight with you and argue with you or gaslight you or verbally abuse you, you don't owe those people anything. Yeah. We never have to tolerate abuse or even just poor treatment right? Like we don't owe an explanation to someone who's going to be an asshole to us. And we know it because yeah. they've proven it time and time again. Right. And that, that's it. There's just like nothing else to talk about on that. Yeah. You know, yeah. when someone, there's that famous, famous Maya Angelou quote that says, when people show you, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah. When someone shows you that they're abusive, when someone shows you that they're emotionally immature, that they can't regulate their own emotions, that they're going to dump all their stuff on you or, mm. or some people that they always have to be the victim. Mm. Even when they did something wrong or not okay, they're never going to be able to accept that. They're always going to find a way to blame you or make you the bad guy. We can't, there's, these people can't listen, process, or respond in any kind of way that's worth our time anyway. There's no point. Mm. So protect your peace just get the hell out of there I think that's exactly it it's like protecting your peace in that in that time and I think um I just like that reframe because it's especially for people who who do struggle with boundaries you know who do struggle with these you know more intense dynamics in their personal life it's like um it can feel kind of selfish like I like they haven't tried enough to right. you know make things work um but I think reframing that, like, you know, the, just this action of like ghosting in a way, you know, it's like, no, that might be the very thing that needs to happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing is that everything exists on a spectrum, right? So yeah. knowing that 
being able to recognize when someone else is like abusive or whatever, or there's some kind of threat or danger to your well-being, if you continue to engage in interaction with them, requires your own healing and self-awareness, right? Because some people, again, on the other side of it, will are the people who blame everyone else all the time, and they might excuse their behavior, mm-hmm. right? By doing that, when really they are just being avoidant. So yeah. it does require that you like, know yourself and you're honest with yourself about what's going on. But yeah, that, that was mainly directed towards people who you ghost if you're going to be in any kind of harm's way mm-hmm. by staying and engaging and having, right, the emotionally mature conversation or leaning into the conflict. Some conflicts are not worth resolving. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a whole other conversation because it's like, uh, we get, we get, so get drilled in. A lot of people, I think, get drilled this drilled in like it's like find a resolution and find a solution or find yeah. like you know fi- um peace and it's like yeah in an ideal situation it's like we would all be harmonious and live happily ever after together and it's like but in reality that sometimes that distance or that separation or you know changing of the dynamic is is what needs to happen yeah and you know sometimes we're dealing with people who actually have you know mood disorders or whatever and sometimes those conversations might be like trigger them or put them in an episode or something so it's not only like compassionate and considerate of your own self but sometimes it's just operating from a place of understanding how how the dynamic and the behaviors work you know we don't need to demonize that we don't need to make it wrong we don't need to be like fuck those people because it's not that But again, it's about just not putting ourselves in harm's way, not overextending ourselves in situations where the connection, the communication, the resolution, or the safety isn't available. Yeah, yeah. So on a similar topic, um, you did a podcast episode last <sighs> year on called uh, Learning to Respect Yourself. And you shared this amazing quote towards the beginning that uh, where you said self-respect is where people pleasing comes to die. And I felt that like the, the younger me was just like, yes, <laughs> that is like, it just felt so good. And um, in the, in the intro, you shared how important it is to be actively engaging in discovering what self-respectful behavior looks like. Um, and, and, you know, that can vary from person to person to some degree. And I just am curious to, if you could share for those who may not be so clear on this topic or understand their boundaries so well, what might this self-inquiry look and and feel like? Yeah, so just to put that in context, that was part of a podcast series about where I broke down my embodied self-love framework. Mm -hmm. And self-respect is actually the last piece of it. So it starts with self-awareness, and then self-knowledge, and then self-acceptance, self-trust, and then Mm self-respect. So by the time we get through self-respect, we've already developed self-awareness. We've already gotten to know ourselves. Who are we and how are we built? And part of self-knowledge also includes getting to know your values. Mm. Um, So you learn to accept yourself. Who am I? How am I built? What are my values? What do I stand for? What's important to me? What are my priorities? And then the trust piece is about discernment. You use your values and priorities and how you're built to discern what's right for you and what's not. And discernment is really the bridge between trust and respect. Because mm-hmm. in choosing, right, in, in choosing to say yes or say no to something, when you're not coming from a place of people pleasing and you're coming from a place of 
self-trust and discernment and respect, you're saying yes and no based on what is going to be working for you any given moment, Mm -hmm. what you're available for, what you're not available for. Um, Some people will really just over-function, over-extend themselves, stretch themselves and sacrifice themselves for the benefit of others. And they often forget that when you show up depleted, you're not necessarily doing a service to other people anyway, right? Mm -hmm. If you make yourself sick because you never say no and you're trying to always do everything for everybody, then you're not gonna be able to do anything for anybody. So learning to respect yourself is is yes and no. What you say yes to, what you say no to is a great place to start, Mm -hmm. right? And, and, And really doing reflection and contemplation around, am I really a yes for that? You know, would I be better served to say no? And also learning how to say no with grace. You know, mm-hmm. like one of my goals yeah. when I say no to people is that my no feels just as good as a yes, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't need to like bullshit people, but to just be like, you know, I would, I would love to do that and I'm not gonna be able to do that on that day. Mm-hmm. We don't have to over-explain ourselves. We don't have to give these big explanations or make excuses or anything. We could just be like, thank you so much for thinking of me. I'm not gonna be able to do that, but I hope it goes amazing. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Like having that, um, yeah, having that be the goal that it feels just as, just as, uh, empowering too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know what I love about this, the side effect of this is that it also cultivates trust between people. Mm -hmm. Not only are you building your own self-trust and your self-respect through self-honoring in that way, but when you say no to people, when you mean no, they can trust your yes. Yeah, absolutely. Then they know that when you say yes, you mean it. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I had a friend tell me that once. She yeah. asked me something. She asked me if she could borrow something. Mm-hmm. And I said no because I needed it. She's like, God, obviously I, it would have been cool if you said yes, but I, I love that you said no because now I know when you do say yes, you really mean it. Yeah. Because we've all been on the receiving end of like a reluctant yes. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. Then we feel like we're forcing someone into something when really they just needed to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Or it feels like, you know, like, you know, like the people pleaser might think like, oh, I need to like repay them or, you know, there's like this unconscious like obligation or something like that. And all that is rooted in codependency, right? The like the tit for tat, tracking other people's experiences, (laughs) all that stuff. Yeah. Um, So to follow up on this, uh, in that same episode, you made this really amazing distinction between compassion and tolerance. And, and I think it's like, to most people, it's obvious, like those are different terms, but like you shared as women, especially we're we're often unconsciously taught this, you know, through our family, through the media, through our culture, that these are kind of the same thing, like they're, they're um, enmeshed. And can you, would you just share with yes. the listeners? Yeah. This discernment that you made. Um, um, you know what I keep thinking, are you, do you use the video for this or do you just have it on so we can interact? Well, <laughs> I have it on, that's the primary thing. I will put it on YouTube, but. Okay, that's but, cool. I was just thinking about it because we're doing this interview at like the end of a like long and wild day for me. Uh-huh. So I keep like, like exhaling. I'm like drinking a smoothie over here because I literally had no time to eat. And I'm like, if this is on video, <laughs> like, I just, I don't care. I just, <laughs> I was just noticing that I'm just, you're really getting like raw, unfiltered more so than usual. <laughs> but that's but that's the beautiful thing. Like I actually really I really appreciate that because it's like 
I've done similar videos with people and it's like, I'm like, I look like shit today. I'm like, worn out, I'm hungry. Like I'm trying to keep track of my thoughts, but we're, we, we got this. But I just wanted to say that just in case you were like, damn, she just doesn't give a shit. I absolutely do. And it's literally an example of what we're talking about here, right? Like I'm showing up for this and I'm excited to be here. And I'm also attending to my own physical. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I thought, cause I actually, you were talking and I was like, Ooh, I caught myself breathing and I'm like, I hope she doesn't think I'm bored or anything, but I'm just like <laughs> catching my breath over here from one thing to the next. So anyway, to answer that question and even why I say that, right. It's cause I'm being, I'm being compassionate with myself around that this is where I am right now. Like I'm tired and I'm a little messy in this interview and it's fine. Um, I'm not going to judge myself, but I can name it. Um, but you know, we have compassion for ourselves. We have compassion with others. The difference is it goes, it, it goes back to like that question that you asked about ghosting. Mm. When we're overly tolerant, we accept poor treatment, right? Yeah. Compassion can look at poor treatment and be like, damn, that person really must have a lot going on if that's how they're behaving. Yeah. And compassion goes, I can, I can, I, I, I see, I might not get it. I might not understand it, but, but I see that that's what's going on here. Doesn't mean I have to take this treatment. Mm. Tolerance would take the treatment. Yeah. And be like, well, they have trauma or, you know, they have this going on or they had a really hard day or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Because if I, for example, am taking something out on somebody else because I've had a rough day, I would want that person to be like, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Mm -hmm. Why are you talking to me like this? <clears throat> I actually had a whole friendship end over this last fall because a friend of mine, she was actually setting a boundary with me, which is cool. I freaking love boundaries. But the way she did it, and we were close friends. I'm not one for tone policing strangers. But this wasn't a stranger. This was a close friend of mine. And the tone she took with me, it was like, really felt like she was being an asshole. I knew she wasn't. Yeah. And so I said to her, I was like, it kind of feels like you're being an asshole. And I know you're not. So like, what's going on? And for her, she thought she just decided that I was calling her an asshole. Mm. She's like, that's not a feeling. And I'm like, you know what I meant? Like, you know how I talk, you know? Like the words I used didn't land for her, but what I was saying was like, hey, like, why, why are you talking to me like this? Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm cool with your boundaries. Like, you, doesn't, you don't have to be that way with me. Like, what's up, you know? That is being compassionate, but not tolerant. Mm. Because I literally don't care who you are. If you're talking to me, like, I'm just like some piece of shit, I'm gonna be like, hi, what's happening? Why are we doing this? <laughs> you know, and, and some people just don't wanna be called in, called out, or be reflected back. Like, hey, this isn't cool. Yeah. Right. There's something I wasn't saying like, you know, whatever she took it the way she took it and that, which was good to see in that relationship. Right. Like mm -hmm. apparently we didn't have that big of a bond. If all it took was one thing for her to be like, well, you did it. And I was like, okay, okay, cool. Let's just, I think we could be complete here. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. with, with your close friends, you're usually able to be like, okay, cool. Got it. Little misunderstanding. You said this, whatever. Mm -hmm. So like that, that's an example I was coming with compassion for being like I know you're not an asshole but it feels like you're being so what why is this happening because mm. it was it was an anomaly right it wasn't like this person behaves like this all the time mm. so that's that's the difference like compassion is gonna be able to see 
that something is going on that's like off or unusual or like someone's going through something hard and be like, huh, what, what's up here? Compassion is accepting of the person and where they are, not the treatment. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's such a, it's such an important distinction. And I, and I think people, you know, kind of have to figure that out for themselves to, to some degree, but just having that like kind of, you know, barometer of guidance is, um, is really, really helpful. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, so I, you mentioned earlier, I wanted to ask about this, that you do Akashic readings, mm -hmm. right? And I absolutely love this kind of work. I don't do it myself, but I find it just so fascinating and um, even more like compelling when it's somehow like, you know, grounded in some kind of <laughs> tangible, like external verifiable way. And I know that doesn't always happen, right? But I'm just um, kind of like, you know, when, when children are having like these past life yes. of things yes. that like, could not, like you, there's yes. no way they could yes. know that, right? It's like, what? Um, so I'm just curious, like if you have any stories like that, that you could share, obviously without giving away personal information, but um, that you could share that like kind of is like that. I mean, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> so or like, like one, or, one or two. Yeah. I did like 200 readings last year. Um, and it happens like almost every time with something or another. You know what comes right to mind though? I did have a reading with a woman probably like a month or two ago where she was having something, you know, people ask about all kinds of things. Sometimes people will ask about like physical body or pain or health stuff. And I have some boundaries around, you know, what things I will, there's always guidance. I'm always yeah. receiving the guidance, but there's just some things that I'm not comfortable that don't feel appropriate to address in the records. I would rather yeah. someone address it with a doctor, you know? Yeah. So, um, but it was just like some, some pain in her shoulder. And that's all she had said. And I don't remember the specifics of it, but I do remember being like, okay, cool. So it's on your right side, right? And she was like, yeah. And, and like, that's just like one of the simplest examples I could give you. Like, she didn't give me that detail. I didn't know this person. Uh, there was a, like, it was just like in the moment being like, okay, so it's on your right shoulder. Right, okay. And then there was just like two little things that I needed her to do. And then the pain kind of lifted, mm. which was cool. So yeah. like that, that's like one of the simplest examples that just like yeah. that, that popped in. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, let me see if there's another like easy example that's not too super personal to someone. Oh. I'll give you an example. It was actually the very first time. So in the Akashic Records, the guides that we work with are called the Masters, Teachers, and Loved Ones. And the loved ones are literally like people's loved ones that have passed. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's not like full out mediumship, but every once in a while, a loved one will show up. Yeah. The first time that ever happened, I was reading for someone whose mom had died when she was 14 years old. And she was asking a question uh, about like her mom or, you know, maybe what her mom would think about something. And I was like, oh, well, you know, she would say da, 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 da. And she's like, that sound, that's like literally exactly something my mother would say. And it was just like, cause for real, like this woman was like two decades older than me. I didn't know her, didn't know her mom, didn't know her aunt. Like, that's what she was asking something about her aunt. And I was like, I think this is your mom. And I think she wants to tell you this. And she's like, that sounds exactly like my mom. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty cool. It was like really beautiful too. And really um, emotional 
to be kind of like the facilitator in that moment of a connection Mm -hmm. between this person who was in her fifties and her mom who had died when she was 14. Yeah. Yeah. And she was so moved. I was so moved. Like it was really cool. Mm, I love that. Um, kind of to go along with this, um, when you're working with your clients and students, what, what is one of your favorite experiences to facilitate or to witness and and help them have? Hands down. And it goes to what something we were talking about in this conversation. When someone comes and tells me that they set a boundary, they did not used to be able to set. Mm, yeah. or like they they said no or they used their voice in a way actually when you were saying earlier that your experience was opposite yeah uh, you made you made me think of one of my longtime clients who has really started to like speak up and use her voice and set boundaries for herself especially at work and like they make me my students and clients make me cry all the time they're like oh my god I said this thing I did this thing I used that and I'm like oh my god yes and then sometimes too I actually have a couple over the years people who have literally um, just connecting to their like self-love, self-care, self-worth, have have gotten themselves out of abusive relationships, precarious Mm -hmm. financial situations, started businesses. I mean, one woman, especially I think of, who is one of my favorite clients ever, just grew up in immense poverty. And Mm -hmm. she left an abusive, in the time that I've known her, she's left an abusive relationship. She started a business. She was able to move out of living with her, family where she had to move back into for a while with her son so her and her son got their own apartment and like getting to decorate and be in her own space she had um never had her own space before Mm -hmm. and she was in her 30s and that was just like the most I remember we were on zoom and she was like showing me around her apartment I was like Uh sobbing (laughs) um so stuff like that it's just so amazing to see when the work works yeah yeah Mm, I love that yeah um Let's see here. I have a few more questions. So on, let's see. So you've had your podcast embodied since 2015. Um, And I know you've interviewed some really remarkable people over the years yourself. And so I'm just curious if you can share perhaps one of your all time favorite interviews and what made it so special. Oh, um, I'm going to go with the person who popped into mind first was Adrienne Marie Brown. Okay. And what made it so special is uh, her book, Emergent Strategy, is one of my favorite books about, you know, social justice, collective liberation. She calls her work transformative justice. And it's, she comes from a very embodied somatic uh, nature and um, oriented approach and very relational approach as well. And she was like super busy, about to go on a sabbatical. Like I really, part of what made it special is I think that was one of the last, I think the person on her team told me it was like the last interview she was doing Mm. before she was going to sabbatical. She was literally packing her suitcase during the interview. She's like, hey, I'm so sorry. Like I gotta be packing this bag. I didn't wanna cancel the interview. And I'm like, girl, no worries. She was like, you could hear like zipping up and like (laughs) putting things in the suitcase in the back of the interview. But I just, she's such an incredible thinker. Um, writer, speaker, and I just, I love her work. I respect her so much. So that was one of my very favorite conversations because she also is one of those people who is just like an embodied healer and practitioner and just sharing any kind of space with people like that. You feel it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. I have to, I don't, I'm not familiar with her, so I will have to check her out. Oh my God, she's amazing. <laughs> she also has more books, uh, Pleasure Activism, 
And she also, her more recent book is called We Will Not Cancel Us. And I think, I think she has another one coming out. I don't remember. I think I literally just saw last week. She has another one coming out, but I don't know the name of it. Okay. Awesome. It's great. Um, and then, oh, kind of along those same lines, like uh, who or what is one of your greatest sources of inspiration and why? Oh, okay. So what popped into my mind immediately was uh, the goddess Durga. Mm-hmm. When in 2013, when I was kind of, on this path into like wild womanhood, I was reading a book called Awakening Shakti by a woman named Sally Kempton. And she uses um, nine of the goddesses from the Hindu pantheon um, to explain these archetypes. And it was when I got to the chapter on the goddess Durga, who has eight different arms for anyone who's not familiar, eight different arms, and there's a different implement in each hand. She has a sword in one hand, uh, uh, prayer beads, uh, different weapons, uh, lotus flower, that's what I was trying to say. And she rides either a lion or a tiger. And she's both like this warrior goddess, but also the divine mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's so fierce and she's so dynamic. And that, that for me, I identified, like I saw myself in that so much, kind of like I was mentioning earlier. I have an illustration. I've had I found, he sells them on his website now, Ekabumi, and actually he became, he's a good friend of mine, the man who did the illustrations for the book, which are stunning. But at that time, I like literally hunted him down, looked him up, found his email, messaged him, and I was like, I must own this print. Like, this is so valuable to me. Um, And just knowing that 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 was a way to be a woman. Mm, Yeah. You could be fierce and you could be soft. You can hold this mother energy and hold this warrior energy. Um, really helped me to start to learn and embody and embrace like how dynamic love actually is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how dynamic womanhood really yeah. is. It's not just these like maiden mother whore mm-hmm. archetypes that society basically just acknowledges those, right? And then when you, and crone really, and then when you get older, you're like put out <laughs> to pasture. Yeah. So there's, there's so many more ways to be a woman and so dynamic and multidimensional and so that that was one of my biggest inspirations to just be my whole self Mm. and just to make like a little note here about cultural appropriation I don't you know I don't teach Durga classes or anything like that I don't sell I don't do anything it was just a very a personal very personal relationship I developed with her still to this day like that energy and that archetype means so much to me yeah um and that it just, it was so inspiring because it just gave me permission to stop trying to be any kind of feminine or woman or embody any energy that I just don't have, you know? Yeah. So that's <laughs> never, you know I'm never going to be dainty. I'm never going to be one of these like, very <laughs> delicate type of like feminine that some people really like. That's cool, yeah. but it's just not me. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love, I'm familiar with Durga and, and the, um, yeah, the different goddesses and she's, oh. she's powerful super powerful I mean there's all these other goddesses um that I love so much but it's a big one yeah um and then do you have any like simple like favorite embodiment practices that you do yourself that you can share with the people listening yeah you know whenever people ask me this question a lot and I love to just say breathing (laughs) just literally I mean that's why earlier again like I came into this interview after having like a very full kind of intense day and you know you've heard me or you've seen me if you're watching the video like a couple of like very 
big exhales. I didn't mean to do them audibly, but that's how it came out, <laughs> um, which is very regulating and grounding in the nervous system. But really the simplest thing, like throughout the course of the day, like I, I notice my breath. A lot of the classes that I teach in the Embodied Living Center, I start out the practice, whether it's wild soul movement, erotic body, meditation with notice the sensations of your breath, because that's literally something I do several times throughout the course of the day, right? Like if, if I notice I'm kind of just like running around or whatever, I'll just like take a breath. And, you know, it's, it's not always like a deep inhale. Often it's more like the, yeah. the releasing, the yeah. reset, the refocus is like, all right, let me ex exhale something, whatever, you know, people say inhale the good shit, exhale the bullshit. Mm -hmm. So um, <laughs> that, the simplest is that. And then my other favorite is I really love, you know, wild soul movement will always be, you know, one of the most incredible practices of my life. But the erotic movement, just to put on a song mm. and close my eyes and just let the music come into my body and let my body just kind of like roll with however she needs to move. Uh, I just, I, I, I will never tire of that. It is so, yeah. again, the same, right? Like we're all, we're doing this interview in April, 2021. We're still in a pandemic. So many of us have spent so much freaking time on zoom and at our computers yeah. and so like i i literally need to get a chiropractor because i'm having like postural things happen yeah and so being able to just like uh just get in my body and kind of roll around and create some space between my joints and breathe and create some openings and release some tension is just mm. so delicious that's mm. the word i love that i i just wanted to share a couple things because um they they popped into my mind and I actually find it refreshing that you are showing up in this space the way that you are, because like, I also, I have had this tendency of like having these deep sighs a lot of times in public. And like, I don't, even, I wouldn't even notice that I'm doing it. Yes. And then people would comment like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I'm fine. I'm just like, whew, like letting it out, you know? Yes. Yes. And it's really good for the, the nervous system to like have that deep exhale. Yeah. It's also just good for us in general to be expressing how we feel yeah. not holding it in. I actually, you reminded me in the before times one day when I was working at a coffee shop, I, I had these headphones on, I had like music on, I was working and I was doing all kinds of stuff and I didn't realize I must've actually been doing quite a bit of that <laughs> because I, you know, I took my headphones off for a moment. I guess I was going to get up and go grab a coffee or go to the bathroom or something. And there was this older gentleman sitting next to me and he was like, excuse me. Oh no. You know what it was? I was laughing. Uh, something made me laugh and I, so I'm sitting there by myself and I just started dying laughing and this man was like please don't ever stop doing that he's like it's so amazing that you, he's like you know as a man in this world it's not really necessarily okay for me to be like this mm. but it's amazing to be next to you and see you being how you are is basically what he said to me and I was like thank you so much because like you said, when you are embodied and you just do what you do everywhere and you're not editing yourself anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it's so normal to you. Yeah. You don't realize that other people are not living like that. Yeah. They're holding yeah. in so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's good, like leading by example in that way, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, even in class, so I have a teacher training for wild soul movement and we talk about, you know, technical cues, being able to like, you know, tell people how to move their body in space and then sensual cues. And, and, and even just breathing. I learned this from one of my teachers, like just your own breath, like you sighing mm. is a way to, it will remind people to breathe Yeah. without does. you even saying, Hey, all right, let's take a breath. You could just yeah. be like, ah, mm. and kind of like yawning. People are automatically going to be like, ah, yeah. like people listening. You're probably doing it right now, even <laughs> if you're trying not to. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to share this other thing because it's something I discovered recently as a side effect so um, that you might enjoy until you get to a chiropractor. <laughs> but um, I started getting like kind of diving into face yoga kind of randomly. <laughs> yeah, I've seen ads for it. I have, I have like yogi like Hindu friends that are like face yoga is not a thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's a yeah, it's not like it's not actually yoga, but I wanted to just try these different <laughs> exercises, yeah, yeah. but there is this one that's like this, where we, you roll your shoulders back and you feel like the front of your chest open and you, uh, jet, you look upward and actually jut your chin <laughs> forward mm -hmm. and you feel this like stretching here. Yeah. And it ha for me, when I do it, it actually has this weird effect. It makes me yawn. <laughs> it's like, but it, but it actually like opens up my, the front of my chest and it has this like counter effect when like from being like on our computer and like hunched yes. up and zoom all day. So I just wanted to totally. love it. it. Thank you. <laughs> you can make it to the chiropractor. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So we have a few minutes left. Let's see. Um, you, I know some in, I'm not, maybe not so much recently. I'm not sure, but um, you, I know you shared for a while, some of your journey in conscious dating. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm just, um, I'm just curious because it's something that's still, I think, quite new for a lot of people, but I'm just curious, would you share one of your biggest shifts that you had personally in this journey um compared to maybe perhaps the less conscious years <laughs> okay so what I think you're referring to is actually what I've called conscious hoeing <laughs> oh. <laughs> that you can call it that too <laughs> but you know it's, it's a combination of the two because part of it was very sexually liberating for me mm -hmm. but um yes one of the biggest things which is you know some people listening to this might be like uh duh but for me who came from a codependent background and had to do a lot of healing around that um <laughs> to realize that I could like someone and not have to get into a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could be compatible with someone. I can have chemistry, but I don't have to date them. Mm. There's so many different contexts for connection, intimacy, and romance without having to go into a full-blown commitment with someone who maybe not is not appropriate for commitment, which, you know, a great example is right now I have, I call him like my pandemic boo. I have this man in my life who for, I, I adore him but he's not dateable, you know, mm. like I could never date him, but he's just the perfect, I call it, he's my, I call it my vitamin D. <laughs> yeah. Um, for the pandemic, you know, he's super busy. He's a dad. He has a daughter. He is a, runs his own business. He's super, I only see him like once a month, maybe, or once or twice a month. But for a person who's been living on my own for most of the pandemic to have the touch, to have the intimacy, the affection, have sex, like 
and we hang out, we have fun, like we get along, we really like each other, but like, it's not going to be more than that. You know, it's really like a friends with benefits situation and, and just letting that be what it is. I never, a decade ago, I wouldn't have been able to have that. Yeah. I would not have been able to just actually let something be all that it's meant to be without wanting it to be more Mm. or wanting it to be something else or trying to get him to be different. Like that's been one of the biggest things, just like taking people at face value and being like, cool, do I want to interact with this in the realm of what's available? Or does it not line up with what I desire for my life right now has Mm. been absolutely the biggest thing. Mm. I love that. It's so refreshing. Yeah. To accept it the, the way that it is. Totally. And I, you know, I also just want to acknowledge for anyone listening that that works for me. Some people are not built for that. Yeah. Right. It's not, and it's not casual either because I don't do anything casually. There's connection. There's emotional connection. We check in on each other. We talk like there's depth there. Yeah. It's not just some, it's not a booty call, Mm -hmm. right? It's not just transactional. It's quite like loving and transformational. But even so, I know some people are not interested in that kind of connection. And I I just always like to acknowledge that because some people will hear it and it sounds like a cool idea, but just because it might sound like interesting or desirable or fun, doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody. And I always just like to make that note. Yeah. So I have a kind of a last silly question kind of share, but so as I was doing some digging for this interview, um, I did get kind of really nosy on your about page. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I, I made it for nosy people. I know. <laughs> I, I appreciated that. I'm so glad. So, <laughs> so on this, on your about page towards the bottom, because <laughs> I did get through it. Yes. <laughs> this is going to be so happy. I can't. Even, I'm like, I don't know if anyone's going to read all this shit, but I'm putting it here in case someone does. <laughs> I did. If no one else does, I did. Um, mission accomplished. So, <laughs> I, um, I read that you sold Cutco knives. Yes. <laughs> and, and quite well, you were, you said you were in top 10 in the nation. And <laughs> I noticed, um, at, uh, we're, the, we're almost the same age. We're only like a few weeks apart. I'm August 22nd. Oh, no way. 1983. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Virgo. <laughs> Leo Virgo. Yes. Oh, you're the cusp. 22nd yeah. is the cusp. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I, so I actually sold Cutco knives that same year at 19 years old. Um, but I was, I was probably like the 10th worst <laughs> in the nation. <laughs> I, um, on my last, on my last demo in some lady's home, I don't even remember who oh, she no. was. I was, you know, demo. You didn't cut yourself, did you? I sliced through my fingers <laughs> while I was trying to demo with the oh, tomato. No. And I literally decided, I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not cut out for this, right? Oh my God. When we stop um, recording, I'm going to ask you who your manager was. Cause I probably know them. That's I don't even you remember. remember. <laughs> so funny. But <laughs> you've kind of explained this a bit already, but um, obvi- like that feels for me, that's like a totally different life ago. <laughs> so <laughs> such a different life compared to my life now. And yeah. I'm just wondering if you have any like funnier, silly stories from that back in that time. Oh my God. How much time you got, Megan? That was, I worked at Cuckoo. So the summer I was 19 years old, I sold $48,252 of knives to people. Wow. That's good. Um, and then the, the summer out, I went through their management training. The summer after that, I was an assistant in an office. The summer after that, I ran my own branch office. And when I graduated college, I ran 
the Washington DC district for a couple of years. I was recruiting and training and like um, all this stuff. And God, I would go on the incentive trips. I, I literally, I can't even, like I have so many stories I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. But um, I, I'll, I'll tell you a little scandalous one that's embodied, that's fun okay. for me to tell, right. is that in 2006, the company trip, I mean, if your office sold a certain amount, you qualified for the company trip. And that year it was in Cabo. Mm-hmm. And so there was another manager in the company. So my office was Washington DC. His office was out in California. And I was super attracted to this dude. And th- that environment, like that kind of like sales company is very much like work hard, play hard. And at the time, I don't know, I was probably like 23 or 24. So I was still in the binge drinking years of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up hooking up with this other manager in the company. And that's not really something that is uh, encouraged or endorsed. Yeah. And um, one of my dearest friends was actually my superior, my division manager. And he like basically caught us in the act, which Oops. is just hilarious. My, and my best friend at the time, who was another manager in the company, we were sharing a room. And so she knew I was in the room with this dude and our other friend, he was, he like had a feeling we were there. And so he was trying to be like, oh, hey, let's go. Is Elizabeth back in the room? Like what's going on? And she was like, no, I don't think, like she tried her best to get him to not come to the room. So it was literally like the only time in my life I ever had to like try to like hide a man, you know? And it didn't work. Like it all came out, it all happened. And my manager slash one of my dearest friends was so upset. Like we still joke about it. I mean, I'm still friends with that man. Like we never, it was just like a like, little fling thing and we still remember just like how freaking funny it was he then wrote my friend he gave him like a postcard like and I'm sorry like you know I respect you blah 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 like nothing personal or whatever and and my friend slash manager like ripped it up it was so (laughs) it was just you know the drama and the scandals of like intercompany things you're not supposed to be doing, but are absolutely going to happen on a sales trip at an all-inclusive resort, you know? Right. And in your early twenties too. And in your early twenties. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. That's what, so that had nothing to do with selling knives other than that's why I was on that trip, but that's yeah. one of my favorite stories from that time. <laughs> uh, well, I think we're at time. So <sighs> I just want to thank you so much for taking this time with me today and just sharing your wisdom and your humor and your laughter. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh my God, you too. You are so sweet. These are great questions. And also, you know, obviously as someone who's had a podcast for a really long time, I really appreciate the time and effort and energy that you put into preparing all these great mm-hmm. questions. Like I can see you like, okay, we got this question. And I can tell like you really put a lot of time into that. So I really appreciate that. And it was super fun getting to actually like connect with you off mm-hmm. of Instagram. So if you want to find out more about Elizabeth and her work, go to untameyourself.com and you can take her wild soul archetype quiz. I did it by the way. It's really fun. Oh, what was your first one? Oh, my first one was, hold on, is the divine mother. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And you can also join her wait list for summer enrollment for the embodied living center. Cool. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. I also have a special free gift for all of my listeners. Just go to meganhart.coach/gift. That's m e g a n h a r t dot c 
C-O-A-C-H slash G-I-F-T. All my love to you. Until next time.